Good morning. It's good to see you here. Thank you for being the ones that stayed in town over Labor Day weekend. I know a lot of folks have done a lot of traveling this weekend, but I'm excited that you have stayed in town and you're here. Thank you for coming and being a part of our worship here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. If you've got your Bibles, and I certainly hope that you do, would you please take them out and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 7, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week as we continue to march our way through this gospel. And uh, we're going to pick up with verse 14. We looked at the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 7 last week. And I would even say that today's sermon really is like the second half of what we first looked at last week in those first 13 verses. This, as we look through down through verse 23 today, we're going to be looking at really at the second half of this entire passage that I believe is, is a really a unified whole. In the first five verses of this, of this chapter, uh, we were alerted to a confrontation that took place between the religious leaders uh, there, uh, named the Pharisees and the scribes, who the Bible says came from Jerusalem. And, and really they came to corner Jesus. They cornered him because obviously they had heard about his popularity. They had heard about all the things that he had done and they were trying to catch him. As a matter of fact, we learned even back earlier in, in our study of Mark's gospel, they had already set in their minds that Jesus needed to be put to death. They, they just really didn't like him. And so they were coming out to try to catch him in some things. And what they found was is that his disciples were engaging in the process of eating food without washing their hands properly. Now, they weren't concerned about the hygiene of the fact that the disciples weren't washing their hands. They were concerned about the ceremonial fact that the ritualistic uh, practices of the, the tradition of the elders was not being practiced. They were concerned that, that, that Jesus' disciples were not being held accountable by Jesus to actually wash their hands in an appropriate manner that was considered to be Jewish. Now, confronting him, they wanted to know why he allowed that to take place. Well, that was the first five verses of this chapter. And then verses six through eight, we learn of the response that Jesus gave. And in that response, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And in quoting from the prophet Isaiah, Jesus really just takes it to the, the religious leaders. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites because they were only concerned about what was happening on the outside. They were only concerned about how things looked externally. They really weren't concerned about what was taking place on the inside of a person's life. In other words, these religious leaders, as Jesus said, said all the right things with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. And so the inner parts of their lives, which revealed who they truly were and where their true devotion lay, well, that part was nowhere near being centered upon the Lord. And that actually then was revealed by the next section of the scripture that we looked at last week, verses 9 through 13, in which there was an illustration that Jesus gave concerning how they had, the, the scribes and Pharisees had elevated their adherence to the tradition of the elders to an even higher level than what they understood their, their devotion to the Word of God was. And he exposed this by saying, you know, if a guy, if a man comes along and decides he wants to devote all of his earthly goods to the Lord, a, a thing that, that Jesus talks about as being Corbin, he, he, he uh, devotes everything he owns to the Lord. Well, they were using that as a means by which they didn't have to fulfill their responsibility to the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother. And Jesus says such loopholes as this really show just how... Uh, just how much of a hypocrites you guys actually are. And so that really kind of sets the stage for where we're going to go this morning. And, and what we learned as we studied last week was simply this, 
Brothers and sisters, it is a grave danger to be more concerned about clean hands than it is to be concerned about clean hearts. It's a, it's a grave danger to focus on externals that can be measured and, and quantified rather than the internal condition of one's soul. In fact, what we concluded after last week's study was that in our pride, we must never elevate adherence to external rules and regulations and traditions above God's Word, which clearly teaches us that we are to come to God in repentance and in faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned, that's really the first part of this entire section that stretches from verse 1 down to verse 23. Today, I want us to pick up and, and look at what Jesus goes on to say because the first thing that he did was address the scribes and Pharisees with regard to the question that they asked. And then, though, in verse 14, he turns his attention to the larger multitude of crowd that had already begun following Jesus. As you know, in our study of Mark, the crowd seemed to always follow Jesus wherever he goes, and that's, not, that's true even in this section. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to address specifically the larger crowd that was gathered around him at this particular point. And that's where we pick up in verse 14. So let's begin reading the scriptures there. The Bible says this, When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come from out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him concerning the parable. He said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach. And it, I, I, sorry, this thing just fell up here and it just messed me up. I'm back to verse 20. You can edit that out out of there. He, he told me that I was going to mess up because he was running the camera today. And he was right. I messed it up. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man from within, out of the heart of men produce, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. It's for the people of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity that we have to be able to come and to, to study your word. We're thankful that in studying of your word, we are alerted to who you are. And in the process of learning about who you are, we also learn a great deal about who we are. And Father, we recognize how important that is because to recognize who you are and who we are tells us how we are to properly relate to you. Oftentimes, Lord, we get those things completely out of whack. We continue to, to pursue things in the wrong way, and we think about things in an improper way. 
But your word, if we study it and we truly understand it, will bring us back to where we need to be. And Father, it will, it will produce within us that which is necessary. And that is repentance and faith. And I pray that that would be the result of the time that we spend together this morning. I pray this in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. Now, you were with us last week, you'll note that I, I provided a very simple outline for you that just basically gave you the hooks that we could hang our thoughts on as we worked our way through the text, just sort of outlined the text itself. And I want to continue that today. We, the, the first three points really of this entire text from verses 1 through 13 are the confrontation, the response, and the illustration. And today I want to keep with that same theme and tell you that beginning in, in verses 14 through 16, we learn of the principle the principle that is laid out in this text. And it begins in verse 14. Jesus says this. He says, hear me, everyone, and understand. And that's a, a really interesting thing that he, he says there because what he does is, is he's calling attention to what he's about to say. And he's impressing upon this large multitude the importance of what he's about to say. And, and, and basically, this is what he's doing. He's saying, listen up. I want you to pay attention. I want you to get your minds around what I'm about to tell you. And, and I want you to know that was not only good instruction for the multitude, that's good instruction for us as well. You see, based upon what Jesus says, the importance of what he's going to lay out for us and what he's going to, to, we're going to study this morning, this is not the time for us to kind of settle back and just sort of throw things in the neutral, throw our mind in the neutral and just sort of relax a little bit. That's really, if anything, Jesus would say to us, this is the time to kind of ease forward in the edge of your seat and really pay close attention to what I'm going to tell you because this is very important information. And what he does is he lays out the significance, not only for the crowd, but for us, of just how much what he says today impacts their lives. You'll notice also verse 16. Verse 16 says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Some of you are probably searching for verse 16 right now because in your versions you do not even have a verse 16 and you're wondering who cut that out. And then for those of you who do have it, some of you it's bracketed in. And the reason that's the case is because the words that we have there, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, is actually a textual variant. Those words find them are not in the earliest manuscripts that we, that we have. And so very likely those words were were sort of a, a, a marginal note that were written in on the side that over time became a part of the text. But, but we also know Jesus used those words on a regular basis to call attention to the things that he wanted people to pay attention to. He would say, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And that was another way of him calling attention to the importance of what he was going to say. And so in both situations here, from what we see in verse 14, but also the textual variant there that we get in verse 16, we realize that the importance of that he wants to communicate comes in the principle of verse 15 where he says this, There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Now, the immediate context that served as the backdrop for what Jesus states here was the Pharisees confronting him about his disciples not washing their hands ceremonially the way that they believed that they should. And the rebuttal that Jesus makes is that, is that external things, things like meals that are eaten with hands that have not been washed in the proper ceremonial way, those type of things are not the source of spiritual impurity. Rather, what the Lord states is that the defilement that offends God 
is an internal spiritual reality that has a corresponding internal source. In other words, Jesus states that sinful corruption does not come from outside the center, but instead is on the inside. Let me even put it more succinctly. Our defilement is not external. Rather, it is internal. Now, I think that it's important for us to understand this, and it's even important for us to begin at the proper place, and that is to recognize the fact that defilement is something that is common to all of us. You recognize that when we read this text, the question is not if we are defiled. The text assumes that all of us are defiled. You see, all of us are impure. All of us are unclean. All of us are corrupt. Now that is sometimes a challenging concept for people to get their minds around. The fact of it is we don't really just naturally like to think about ourselves as being people who are uh, damaged goods. We don't like to think that way. We aren't inclined to necessarily consider ourselves unclean and defiled. And yet the Bible tells us that every man, woman, boy, and girl is defiled. Not a one of us can rightly stand before God and claim that we are innocent. Not a one of us can stand before God and claim that, that we are spot-free and that we have lived completely righteous lives. In fact, what the Scriptures teach us is what we all know in and of ourselves and that is both our, in our thoughts and in our actions, we are sinners. We also know this, whatever righteousness that we might be able to, to bring up would serve as to being nothing more than the dirtiest and most filthy rags in comparison to the righteousness of Christ. So the question is not if we are defiled. The, the question actually is this, what is it that makes us defiled? And what the Scripture reveals to us is that it is our own sinfulness that defiles us. But even if we grudgingly admit that, the temptation is for us to find someone else to blame for why we are the way we are. The temptation is to always look outside of ourselves and to see what it was that actually caused us to be this way. Maybe, maybe it was the, the, the way that we were treated when we were younger. or Maybe it's the way that we've been treated since we've been older. Maybe it's, maybe it's because we lacked something that we really needed in our lives and that caused us to be the way we are. Maybe we had an overabundance of something in our lives that we didn't need and that's what pushed us in the direction that we've been. The, the truth of the matter is it's not hard for us, even if it is hard for us to admit that we're defiled, the fact is, is when we do, we're often tempted to look outward to find the culprit to blame for our corruption. But what Jesus tells us here is, is that we don't have that as an option. He says, no way. Listen, while your environment and your circumstances and your relationships and any number of external things can certainly make an impact on you, the real problem, the uncleanness, the corruption, the defilement comes from within you. You see, by saying what he does here in verse 15, Jesus pinpoints man's problem not as something outside, but something inside. It's something internal that produces defilement. And Jesus as he's insinuated by his call for understanding there in verse 14, this is an incredibly important concept for us to grasp. Why? Well, because brothers and sisters, a faulty understanding of the origin of our defilement will ultimately lead to a faulty understanding of what it is that can take that defilement away. That was precisely what had happened with the Pharisees. 
Listen how John MacArthur describes the situation there. He says, thinking that moral contamination came from external sources, they developed an elaborate system of external rituals and ceremonies that they thought would make them pure. They wrongly assumed that if they looked good on the outside by attending the synagogue, honoring the law, observing the traditions of the elders, that God would deem them righteous on the inside. And consequently, he says, Judaism became a breeding ground for hypocrisy, externalism, and superficial legalism. And that's an important point to note because you see, by the time of Christ, as we noted last week, the tradition of the elders had been elevated to a point where they actually were more important to the scribes and Pharisees than God's Word itself was. Therefore, the Jews had, had bought into this teaching that true holiness and real godliness were matters of outward performance. That's the reason they kept such strict dietary laws and why they adhered to all those extra-biblical rules. They had misunderstood what the Old Testament clearly communicated throughout, and that is, namely, our problem is not an external one, but an internal one. Consider just a few Old Testament passages that point directly to this. One of my favorites to always bring out is in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. If you remember, that passage is where the, where, where the Lord sent sent the, the prophet to go and, and to anoint the next king because Saul was, was being dismissed from being the first king of, of Israel and, and, and it was going to be one of Jesse's sons who was going to be the next king and God sent Samuel there and, and, and all of Jesse's sons came parading in front of him and each time the one looked better than the next and God said, that's not him. That's not him. That's not him. And they get to the end and, and they're all looking at one another and the prophet said, is this all your sons? And Jesse says, well, I got that other one. He's out there in the pasture taking care of sheep. He says, go get him. I'll wait. And they brought back David. When David came in, God said, that's the one. That's going to be the king. And 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 tells us why. Because it says there, the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. Brothers and sisters, that's all we've got to look at. You and I can't see into the depths and the hearts of the people sitting next to us and the people sitting around us. All we can look at is what's on the outside. But we have to be careful because the Bible tells us that's not the way that you judge what's going on there. God looks at what's happening internal. He sees down to the inside. He, has the, he sees what's on the outside, but he goes deeper. He goes to what's taking place on the inside, and that's exactly what we find there. God looks at the heart. You see, by the time that the New Testament rolls around, the scribes and Pharisees had, had missed that. They were just concerned with the externals. But all along, the Old Testament had pointed that God looks to the inside. Listen to 1 Kings 8, verse 39. For God alone knows the hearts of all the sons of men. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So when Jesus says what he does here in verse 15, what he's telling us is that our spiritual corruption our defilement is not something that comes from the outside, but rather it comes from the inside. 
But now, based upon what we see that happens next, Mark gives us the impression that that principle, though it was very clearly stated, was very, very difficult for the Jews and even for the disciples themselves to get their hands around. In fact, notice the court in verse 17, Jesus' own disciples wanted to know what Jesus meant by this parable that he had just told the crowd. I find that to be interesting. There was nothing about what Jesus said there in verse 15 that was parabolic in its form. Parables were stories typically that were told that needed to be interpreted. This was a direct statement. And yet they wanted to know, what, what do you mean by the parable? Now, it is true that a parable, that word could be used to describe something that was perplexing and enigmatic. And evidently that was exactly what the disciples thought about Jesus' words in verse 15. What I think that means is that when Jesus made the statement that he did there, it was so radical. It was such a radical concept. It was so far removed from the normal Jewish life that the people just simply didn't get it, and neither did his disciples. And so they wanted to know, can you explain that to us? And then verse 18, Jesus said to them, are you thus without understanding also? That's a rather mild rebuke, but it's still a rebuke. You see, it was the disciples that had been with Jesus all along, right? They'd been with him through all the miracles. They were on the boat with him when the storm was there and he calmed it. He came walking to them on the water. They were, the, they were there when they passed out the bread and the fish to the 5,000 when Jesus multiplied that. They had heard his teaching, and yet they still didn't understand. And that's a warning for us. For those of us who have the revealed Word of God in our hands and in our laps right now, for those of us that spend time in small group Bible studies and in Sunday school classes and have had all of our lives devoted to studying God's Word, this is a warning to us that there are still times that we can become dull to what it is that God truly values in our lives. And it can become something that's so foreign to us that we, it's like it's the first time we've heard it. We need to be careful. Jesus recognized that here. These, these disciples had a growing sense of who He was and yet they still did not grasp that defilement in the sight of God does not come from external things, but from internal things. Nevertheless, Jesus goes on to give a deeper explanation of that principle, and that's what we see in the very last part of our text this morning. From verses 17 through 23, we find the explanation. The explanation. He turns and looks at his disciples and he says, Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all food. I sat around this week trying to figure out exactly how to explain this verse. And then I figured that probably it didn't need much explanation. I think all of us sort of understand what happens here. Food is taken into our body, we eat it, it goes to our stomach. Then our body absorbs from that food all that we need from it. And after that digestion process is over with, it is eliminated from our bodies. That is the process. I'm not a doctor, don't try to be one, but I'm pretty sure that that's about the process that takes place. And that's exactly what Jesus says. But the real point is this. He says the food doesn't come in to the heart. It comes to the stomach. Now, when Jesus talks about heart here, he's using it in the same way that we talked about it from the Old Testament form. He's not talking about that muscle that pumps blood throughout our body. He's not describing that. We know that food can affect how well that muscle works and how it operates, 
But that's not what Jesus is describing. What he's describing is the inner part of a person. He's talking about the inner part of a man that, 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 where the thoughts and the intentions of our being resonate and what determines our will and what determines our actions. And what Jesus says is that food never touches that part of a person. So we want to know what, what does. Well, he goes on to explain it. We're not defiled by the food that comes into our body. What are we defiled by? Verses 20 and 23 tell us. He says, what comes out of us? From within the heart, he says, of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Notice the structure of Jesus' argument there. Don't, don't miss what he says. He says it is from within, out of the heart, proceed what? Evil thoughts. In other words, it all begins with this inner kind of reasoning that we do with ourselves. It's a kind of inner dialogue that we start having with ourselves. And it's from those dialogues and from those, from those kinds of, of, of reasonings that plans come in which we craft the evil things that flow from us. What are those evil things? Well, he lists 12 different things. Six of them are attitudes. Six of them are actions. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness. The attitudes are deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. For the sake of time, I have no intention of going into an in-depth study of each of those words. I think probably all of us can understand how bad those things are. We can recognize them. Here's the point that we do need to know, however. As self-explanatory as they are, it's probably painfully obvious to each of us when we look at this list that none of us will escape unscathed when we read it. You see, the point of it is, is that the Bible tells us in Proverbs 23, verse 7, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount said, you don't have to kill somebody to be guilty of murder. All you'd have to do is hate and think about it and wish that that were to take place and you're just as guilty as someone who did it. In other words, what we recognize is, is that our thoughts convict us that each of us find ourselves at, defiled by these exact attitudes and actions. Our thoughts are what leads them to them and all these evils come from within and defile a man. It doesn't come from the outside. It emits from the inside. They spring forth out of us. Now that's not to say that outside things that we put into our bodies don't affect us. Things like drugs, alcohol, an overabundance of food, things along those lines. This is also not to say that there are not circumstances and situations that we can find ourselves in that produce scenarios in which we are enticed or tempted to, to engage in defiling attitudes and actions. That certainly can be the case as well. But the overarching point that Jesus makes is that these attitudes and actions don't emanate from the outside and come in. Rather, they work from the inside out. They start on the inside. And therefore, what comes out of us is what defiles us. And so the point of this entire argument that Jesus is making is simply this. He's saying that if you are trying to justify yourself before God, if it is through your obedience to laws and to rituals and to ethical behavior that you are hoping that you will one day be able to commend yourself to a holy God, 
through some external act, then you have missed the point. You have failed to recognize where your defilement and where your spiritual corruption actually comes from. Your problem is not an external one. It's internal. It begins in your heart and in your inner person. And therefore, the logic of what Jesus says here is that it is both faulty and foolish to attempt to fix an internal problem with an external solution. So if we understand what Jesus tells us in this passage, then we need to do exactly what we've done in other passages. We've read what he said. Now let's step back and figure out what does this mean? Particularly as it pertains to the fact that I am defiled and it's all internal, then what does the Bible tell me about how that is to be fixed? If it's not an external solution that I need to seek, then what is the solution? Well, here's what we know. The only way that you can fix the internal problem of the heart is by what the Bible calls regeneration. You see, there is no power in the world that can make a bad heart good, but the gospel can. And here's where the... Listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word pure there means undefiled. It means clean. It means washed. It means completely without sin. And then the in heart tells us where it's supposed to be. It's in the inner part of who we are. But we've already determined that we're, none of us are pure in heart. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So based upon what we know of ourselves and what the Scriptures reveal to us, if only the pure in heart will ever see God, then there's not a one of us that have a shot. Unless something happens inside of us, which is exactly what Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 tells us was going to happen. The Lord says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. You see, what Ezekiel promised, Jesus Christ came to bring about. He came that we might be changed from the inside out so that we might experience new birth and be given a new life and a new heart and become a new creation, which is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. and Behold, all things have become new. See, though our hearts apart from Christ are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, when God saves us, He changes us. And He changes us from the inside out. When we place our faith in Christ, God washes us clean. And now we stand before Him completely justified, not robed in our own righteousness, but robed in the righteousness of Christ. He has cleansed us and washed away the guilt of our sins. And that's why it is so incredibly important to know where your defilement comes from so that you will know how, what it will take to remedy it. Because it will take a new heart that only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That then leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. Since spiritual defilement stems from evil within our hearts, then it is only through the Holy Spirit's renewal of our hearts, not from external acts and rituals, that we can receive salvation. Friend, that offer of salvation, I want you to know, is available to you today. 
The Bible clearly states that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That includes you. Maybe today is the first time that you've ever truly been confronted with the fact that because of your sin, you stand defiled before a holy God. If so, then what I would invite you to do today is to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. Because the Bible says that he will forgive you and that he will cleanse you from the inside out. Perhaps you have known for a long time that there is a great gap in the relationship between you and God. That relationship you have with him is not what it should be, and you've known that for a long time. Maybe you've been looking to fix your internal problem through external solutions. Well, if so, then I want you to know, based upon what Christ reveals in this passage today, he encourages you to stop your futile efforts, humble yourself before him, receive his grace and his mercy. Perhaps you've done that. You've trusted in Christ. If that's the case, then I want you to know this passage still has a very deep, powerful impact upon each of us as well. If we are Christians, this passage tells us something very significant that we need to know. If you have benefited from the grace and the mercy and the love of God, then brothers and sisters, it is important that you continue to progress in your maturity and in the purity of your heart. It's not as if that purity is something that you can do external and is going to make you any more loved by God. No, but when God changes us from the inside out, there needs to be a requisite change in the way that we behave. You see, we should have a desire within us to no longer be able to be described the way he describes those 12, those six attitudes and those six actions. Those things need to be progressively removed from our lives. How? Because the change that takes place within us begins to conform us more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus. So consequently, we need to remember as believers that we must guard our hearts. We must keep our hearts with all diligence. As the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring forth the issues of life. Here's something that we as Christians must not forget. Mere abstinence from certain activities can never make us holy. We are not defiled by what comes in, into us from the outside. The battle against sin must be fought within. Therefore, we must root out sin. We must guard our hearts because out of them flow the great issues of life. Perhaps the, perhaps the best way for me to finish this sermon this morning, in light of all that we've learned today, that Jesus has taught us, is simply to remind ourselves of two other passages, and I'm going to read these for you. And we will close. One, one of these passages is a prayer. It's a prayer to God that David prayed. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Listen to how important it was for, for David, who was a man after God's own heart, what his prayer was. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You notice where, you notice where things were? Look inside me. Reveal the inward parts of who I am. Why? So that God can crush us? No. But so that we can become aware of the things that are causing us to emit the things that we shouldn't be moving away from and maturing from. Search my heart, O oh God. Look inside me. Reveal the things to me that I need to see about myself that you see 
so that I can then confess those and you can cleanse me of them and then lead me in the way everlasting. And it's that way everlasting that's very interesting because there's a declaration of hope that the New Testament gives us. You see, in John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. You see where, how this connects together? Jesus Christ is the one who has taken all of the guilt and all of the sin within us upon himself on the cross. And he paid the full price of that sin by his death. And so we pray that we would be led in the way everlasting. And the scriptures declare that Jesus Christ is that way to everlasting life. Therefore, we must make sure that we have trusted in him for the purity that we desire within. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. It is for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning.